and let's see how the conversation will come. I can just tell you that I just put live the last episode of mine this morning and I yeah. was interviewing Rob. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I interviewed Rob. It was a one hour and a half talk and all the time Rob was saying, at least a couple of times he's on record, he was telling me, okay, which one was the question? I think it's going to be the same with ours. <laughs> <laughs> That's the standard, Rob. Yeah. I mean, so you know, I have actually started recording. Oh, okay, perfect. Already, let me check. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Zero Lemon, Zero Lemon podcast. I'm here today with actually the actual host, and the actual host is Christopher Hall for the friends. Chris Hall, where are you, Chris? Right, where am I? I'm sitting in my flat in London. Where are you, more to the point? I'm sitting in front of my window in Zurich. I mean, it's a, it's a weird situation right now like we and we've chatted a bit about doing this um and i thought what would be really good for the listeners is to actually have you stefano mm -hmm. with your experience and your own podcast interview me for my podcast so i think it's a bit of a change of scenarios uh this this will be episode five uh and i thought it'd be quite a fun one to do while while we're on uh lockdown life shall we say yes lockdown life indoor trainer life for whom as one i have not and that's a shame so i'm here just struggling with my life without riding the bicycle and an amazing spring spread out outside oh it's beautiful it's the same in london it's beautiful outside really sunny do you know have you seen that thing where people have been um putting like soap on the floor and holding on to the like the their side units and basically using if you've got wooden floor like putting like uh, fairy liquid which is soap that we have for like washing up there okay. putting that on the floor and basically putting the bike on top of it so the wheel spins yeah there's, there's your turbo trainer sorted <laughs> I don't know I'm super scared actually to fall apart and crush my head around but for myself crushing my head only something positive will come because it's already empty so nothing to break inside. <laughs> Well, yeah, um, I don't know. Probably we forgot something from the beginning, Chris. And uh, I'm going to take the lead here. People out there, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And wherever you are, you can and you have to rate this podcast, review this podcast, and what else? Nothing. Put a comment somewhere so everybody can listen to this amazing content all over the world by climbing the charts. I never say that, so that's that's proof that you're a good... And share it with your best friends and share it with your best enemy because everybody should listen. A lot of bullshit that we are going to say today. <laughs> yeah. Have you, got, have you got yourself a drink and food lined up? Because last time we talked, it was long. Uh, then I have a full bidon of water because even if I'm not riding, I still like to drink from my bidon. Then yeah. I have a coffee close by here that I'm going to finish in one second because it's an espresso small cup. I don't have food and that's risky, but worst case scenario, because this is a live podcasting, I can ask my girlfriend to bring me something, even if it is, is, is a bit unrespectful because she's working and we are actually technically not and what else? Yes, I have a lot of uh, peluche and puppy thing to keep me company because I think that it's going to be a late night of recording. By the way, for the records, for me, is 3.20 in the afternoon Central Europe time. 
Yeah, you're an hour ahead of me. Yes. It's going to be late night when we're going to finish. <laughs> I've got to do a training session this evening at some point. Okay. Well, Maybe not that late, relatively late. We'll give it, we'll see how, until we get bored, yeah? Let's see, let's see. Or because we could not, I think that we are going to get bored pretty late. People that are going to listen and get, get are they going to, they are going to get bored pretty early. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I have a pile of questions here piled up for you, okay. Chris. And I want to start with the first one. Chris, where did you get your camera strap from? <laughs> oh, so the, the, the legendary camera strap. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Been... Everybody seems like he's super interested on that. We need to shoot the answer straight away. So uh, the camera strap is a... Uh, effectively, my friends, Jimmy and Emily, made their, I think it was Emily's dad made it as a... They looked at an existing one that existed that was a university project. Um, and Emily's dad uh, effectively made something similar and sort of enhanced it and improved it. And it's a prototype. There's, there's literally three or four of them. Okay. Uh, and I happen to have a yellow one because I like yellow, but yellow obviously stands out on pretty much every bit of kit you have. So everyone cottons onto it and asks where it's from and what it is. Like it's super simple. Like it's the, the metal clip, which is what basically releases the camera. It's so easy to undo and reclip in when you're riding. And that really, really helps. Um, but basically, it's uh, it's from Emily's dad. That, that's the truth of it. Okay. <laughs> can't say much more than that. And so nobody can get your, his hands on that. So it's just a prototype. It will never go to the market. You're going to be one of the few owners of that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it quite a bit, or about making it and producing it, but they're very expensive to make. That like, And... Because of the the nature of how you uh, create the like clasps and everything for it, they're quite expensive to produce. So, I mean, the actual this climbing rope is nothing special, but the clasps and everything, and to make it is quite expensive. And also, there's just like a concern of like you know people hanging like crazy expensive camera gear on their back. Uh, there could be some sort of like insurance issue with it that we don't know about. But yeah, so. Maybe one day. Uh, I, I can't. I can't say because uh, I am just lucky to have one. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. And do you did you try if you can actually hang also your microphone on top of it? Yeah, you could. It's the same connection point. Yeah. Point. You could uh, swing along, and I could actually ride with my microphone on my back and record podcast riding. Yes, that's something that I'm looking for having because when you know when I'm going out, I usually use another crappy uh, recorder and it's not the best on quality. But having a strap that works probably can be. So yeah, I need to look around. If you're gonna commercialize it, if you're gonna put it in the market, just give me a shout. I'm gonna get one. <laughs> yeah, definitely, we will do. You talk about colors, so you like yellow. What's your favorite color? Um, that is a damn good question. I know yellow. No, I so in my flat I have a yellow wall in my flat and I I do really like yellow but it's probably not my favorite color. The reason why I have a yellow wall is because I think it's a really happy color. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the wall when I I work from home like probably 3 days a week and when I'm working I face the yellow wall 
and I just feel like it's good for my mood. Um, and I, I guess yellow is probably one of my favorites, but I do really like, uh, like contrasting colors. Like I love like, um, you know, when you see, uh, color palettes where like, my favorite, one of my favorite colors is called Eve's Klein blue, which is a very, uh, deep, very quite bold blue actually um if anyone has ever heard of that it's like you'd know exactly what i'm talking about but if you haven't it's like a it's a really particular tone of blue that's very powerful and it's also been tested as one of the most um visible colors to the the human eye mm -hmm. uh, because it's a color that's naturally seen in our world um but i love that color contrasted with like hot pinks like fuchsia pinks i just think it, those kind of color contrasts look really beautiful and that's like when i sort of started this whole zero lemon thing and i one of the first things i did was i i wanted to produce a jersey um and it was done as a pre-order jersey uh there was no kind of like uh like if you wanted to buy one amazing like you it, it, i wasn't making any money out of it the main idea was just to, i just wanted to create a jersey and that was my, my basis was using those colors to create something that was quite bold and fun but also something that helps with visibility when you're riding because the like the fuchsia pinks and this kind of eaves climb blue are so are bold colors that really stand out but yeah i mean i like those kind of tones I, I like uh bolder colors i just think there's something really exciting about them but i'm also a really big fan of teal i don't know why i just like it just a nice color isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, can you just name me for, for me again and for all of us again, which one was the name of the blue? Yves Klein. He's an artist and it's spelled Y-V-E-S-K-L-E-I-N. Okay. Uh, he's an artist uh, quite a long time ago. Uh, he's very famous for producing uh, paintings and sculptures in this blue. So on a similar kind of elk, uh, Anish Kapoor has like copyrighted... Um, a certain tone of red and he bought the copyright for uh, what became known as uh, I think it's called Nova black or something, which was like the blackest black that you can create. So certain artists like buy copyrights to colors, but also they, uh, they can create the colors themselves, which is uh, the mixing of pigments and finding new pigments. And Yves Klein basically found this new pigment. Um, and that's why it became known as Yves Klein blue. Okay, I have it in front of my hands here, in front of my eyes, sorry, here. It's beautiful. It's a really lovely tone, isn't it? It's a like, great one. It's weird because it looks matte, mm. but it's it's kind of a weird colour because it looks matte. And so um, Yves Saint Laurent, the famous fashion designer, yeah. um, has a uh, a museum and a garden in, in, uh, in Morocco, in Marrakesh, and one of the buildings is painted in Eve's Klein blue there. And I, I, I went there after um, Atlas Mountains. I spent a couple of days in Marrakesh and I went to the Eve's Klein gardens and I saw this building and I was like, fuck me, that's insane. Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. such a strong color that you wouldn't normally expect to see. Yeah, great. You are just kicking in a lot of conversation. I will start from this last one. You were talking about Atlas Mountain Race. Tell us how it goes. <laughs> Oh man. So it was an experience. I mean, you were there as well. You were, you know, recording for the Atlas Mountain Race podcast. Yeah. And it was an incredible experience to go and explore a country which I 
Uh, to be honest, I never thought I would explore. I'd never really been to Africa. And I know some people would say like Morocco isn't Africa, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, but for me, like I, I had a really, really strong like first day. I, my first day I was in sort of the front group of riders. And I was riding super strong and I felt, I felt great. And then second day I had a lot of punctures. Um, I think I had three on the second day. Oof. I think I I think I totaled six in the race. Hmm. Um, I had three on the second day, and it was just a case of like stop, fix it, go again, stop, fix it, go again, which meant I was kind of like ended up pushing myself really quite a bit out of the race. And then on the third day, I had a bit of a nasty crash, um, which was no one's fault to be honest. It was just bad luck uh, descending one of the climbs i'd gone up the climb and the, my goal was to get up it at sunrise so I, I got to the top as the sun came up and it was it was absolutely stunning but as i started descending it was quite quite technical um just probably like a lapse of concentration or mm -hmm. hitting something a bit hard um and i came off quite badly and i cut i cut open my leg a bit um had a big quite a few big bruises all up and down my legs and um actually i didn't realize until i'd stopped but um all down my uh, rib cage and spine was bruised Ooh. um but i i herniated a disc in december um and having done that uh the continual like vibrations and uh the rough terrain that there was in in morocco um and then the following up with the crash, it, it jarred my back out really bad. Um, and so I, I sort of made, I kind of had accepted that I was out of the race. I'd had the crash, I'd had the crash, I'd had the punches. I was, I was out of the race. Like it was, I was just kind of there to enjoy it for as long as I could cope with it. Um, and then I kind of, I basically every day was getting harder and harder, and I was going slower and slower, and struck basically just struggling to stand up let alone ride a bike um so i got i basically sort of made it my aim to get to the second checkpoint and then see how i felt at the second checkpoint and the the gap between checkpoint one and checkpoint two was was a lot it was the longest sort of stint between the checkpoints and i got to checkpoint two and i sort of kind of fell off my bike when i rolled in um and just sort of sat down on the floor I, I was not feeling good I was in I was really uncomfortable I was in a lot of pain and um, probably didn't show it uh, because I don't like necessarily showing that and I don't like people to over worry but I was definitely feeling it um, I got in I sat down and I was like I was sort of sat there and thought to myself like fuck like can I one can I realistically carry on and two can I am I can I finish this? Like, is it a wise decision to finish it? Um, and I sort of sat there, had some food and I was chatting to the, the, the awesome woman who were like looking after the checkpoint and, and they were sort of like, you, you probably should scratch. Like you're not well. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to have some food and have a think about it. And, um, progressively, uh, they sort of sat down with me and chatted to me more and more sort of said like, look, seriously, maybe you should consider it. Um, if you're in that much pain um and then they put a beer on the table uh -huh. um, and then they put a bottle of rosé on the table um and 
I was still kind of not too sure about scratching. Uh, and then another rider who actually scratched at Checkpoint 2 was looking at my bike. So I was riding quite an interesting bike anyway, and he was looking at it, and um, the rear wheel had cracked. I'd had a crack in the carbon rim. Oh. That basically made the decision up for me that I should pull out. Because mm. um, riding with a cracked rim is, is it would have been stupid, uh, would have been very dangerous. And, and I was, you know, I was I was pissed off, but I'd I, I was comfortable in the fact that I'd given it my best shot considering what had happened with the crash and um, my back and and I guess as well like I I've done a few things like this and I'm, I, I was talking to someone else about this. Like I, I'm quite good at realizing that like, uh, there's no point in doing damage to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to kind of accept, uh, your situations and circumstances. And I kind of accepted that the best decision for me with what I was planning to do for the rest of the year, which is obviously, unfortunately now probably not going to happen. Um, I decided to pull out, um, and I've pro- progressed. I sort of like proceeded to uh, drink uh, that beer, of course, that, the, that was put on the side for me, and then a couple of glasses of rose. And then magically, after be- having a few drinks, the pain stopped hurting because I was a bit drunk. And uh, then I got, and then there was a group of us that ended up scratching at checkpoint two, um, and we basically got a tra- Ford Transit van to the finish with our bike strapped on the roof mm. and sort of like bouncing along and uh, just went headed straight to the finish. And I, I basically, I got to the finish. I went on my phone, looked for hotels nearby, found a spa, checked in at the spa, spent two days in a spa and then went back to Marrakesh. And that's, that's kind of, that's how my race went. Like it wasn't ideal, but these things happen. Like I think there was maybe some people that, maybe pushed themselves too hard and are now suffering from the consequences of that. And I was pretty adamant that I didn't want to push myself any further with the thought of doing any more damage. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's bike racing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. But actually, the thing that I'm thinking, okay, you actually told us completely the story on how everything, yeah, how everything went and how you finished. By the way, I've seen a couple of pictures of this van with all the bicycle on top of it. It was, I think, in uh, Christie's um, Instagram stuff. And I was scared for you guys and for your bicycles. Wow. But the question... You know, when you you look at that van and you realize that on the top of that van was two prototype bikes and three open bikes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what versions of the opens they were like three different open ups or uppers and you had two prototypes there. So that's, that's a lot of money's worth of bikes strapped to the top of that van. Yeah. Uh, more money than the van's probably worth. And we, we were all a bit like, yeah, this is interesting, but equally all of the bikes were fucked. So yeah. 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 And also the road was fucked. Yeah. So... Yeah. The road's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And the, we got onto a main road and it wasn't so bad. Okay, okay. Yeah, but the question that I want to ask you there, watching behind and now it has been six weeks that we finished the Atlas Monte race, what did you bring back from your experience, from your Morocco experience? What did you bring back from uh, from there to London apart from a 
think it was a cracked rim of your bike, but that's another story. What, which one were the feeling? Which one are the feeling that are still staying with you and sedimenting with you of this experience? The bit that, the bits that really stand out to me still from being there was the sunrises and the sunsets. Like they were incredible. Uh, I, and how, so in London at night, that we have a lot of like light pollution, so you don't really see the stars or much of the sky or anything. And every night I slept, uh, I had this special, uh, this like bivy thing that's basically got a tent, mm-hmm. like a tent that comes off your face. And uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it is brilliant. And um, I, you had like two layers to it. One was a mesh layer and one was like a complete covered up layer. And it was generally pretty warm at night. So I always slept with the mesh over my eyes and then uh, basically so I could look up at the stars and every single night I was blown, like properly blown back by the stars in the sky and the same with the sunrises and sunsets and like the sun came up very quick and it, I mean equally it setted very quick but it meant that like the colours were just incredible and I remember one of the days when I was really, really starting to struggle and um, Rob and myself, which is where we bumped into you I think at that little cafe. I remember that, uh, yeah. Yeah, so Rob and myself, we rode off into the night together and we camped out together and then we woke up together and rode in the morning together. And yes, it's like a solo race, but if you end up riding as with someone else, like you ride along next to each other, it's fine. And like we both just sort of were, we, I remember that morning, the sunrise that we both witnessed, we were both just like, shit, this is beautiful. Like it's a beautiful country. And I, I mean... I've done the, you know, Silk Road mountain race. I've ridden across Australia. Like I've, I've ridden across Romania. I've, you know, I've ridden in some amazing countries. I've been very lucky to do that. But the bit that I really will take back from Morocco was, was the sunrises and sunsets. Like every single one was, the colours in it was just insane. I can tell I think a lot of other people that raced will understand that as well. Yeah, I can tell you, I was there witnessing the same colors and I can tell you that I was as well in Botswana some years mm. ago now for a completely different things. No bicycle were involved there. And really yeah. the colors, the yellows, the oranges, the pinks of the sky and the blues as well of African sky are completely different. It's something that you would never imagine. I've been traveling the world as well but that color and those colors are another field completely. It's another level. So unique, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, no. It's crazy. And I think that this reflects completely also into people, you know, Mm -hmm. because having this color, this brightness and uh, this kind of um, environment that you are rolling around for the whole life, that gives you another kind of, uh, quietness and relax of your soul and also really human skill that probably you will not find anywhere else in the world yeah definitely definitely yeah those kind of experiences are just priceless at the end of the day yeah talking about that uh i just want to ask you and then probably we're going to move completely in another direction uh, do you think that you would experience morocco and africa and also the other countries that you mentioned as at the same level in the same way without experience them with a bike or you think that going in these places on a bike gives you another kind of experience oh 
So uh, someone asked me this recently as well, like the difference between like driving across a country to cycling it. And like for me, what's so good about cycling is you're going fast enough that you can see a lot, but slow enough that you can absorb it. Yeah. And there's nothing else that goes at that speed, if that makes sense. So like you drive and you, you're just fucking plowing through countries and you don't absorb so much. You're in a box. You don't get, you don't taste it. You don't hear it. You don't, you don't really smell it, anything like that. You, you, you run through, if you go running or hiking, for example, you do get all the taste and the smell and everything, but you don't, you don't see as much because you're going slower. Um, for me, with cycling, you're going at that speed where you can absorb so much because you can really cover some real, you know, you can do easily like a couple of hundred K in a day if you really want to. And you just, you're at a speed where you can really see changing scenery and changing, changing countries and meet people. And that, that for me is part of the thing that's so special about cycling is be, being at that kind of speed where you can really absorb so much. And you, you definitely don't get that of any form, other form of transport. No way. And I, I don't think you do. And it's part of the reason why I love cycling so much. Yeah. And also I think that on the same level, you can really experience people in this way. Because people, while you're in the car, people can see you by just in a distance. Same thing if you're in a bus. I'm not talking about trains or... And, uh, uh, aircraft and stuff because it's another level but people can see really the humanity of you and while you are going with a bike then you can meet way more people and that's the amazing thing yeah completely agree with yeah, you yeah, yeah yeah so let's move a bit on the side from that and uh, we're gonna touch base on bicycle pretty soon but we talked a lot about design we talked a lot about colors and i truly believe that now you have to explain us one by one the meaning and the shape of your tattoos. <laughs> I've got quite a few, uh, and they're they're all like all, every tattoo I have for a reason. Uh, I don't, and that's a personal thing. Like, not I know some people just have tattoos because they like tattoos, but for me, they're all personal reasons. Um, I'll start with the one that most people don't know about because no one see it, which is the one on my foot. Mm -hmm. um, on my foot, I have my initials. Uh, and that's uh, the reason why I have that is it's a tr like sort of a traditional one in my family. Um, my uh, great uncle had it done first. And the, the story is that I, I don't really know how true it is, but apparently he, ha he had like quite a few like war tattoos. He was a soldier mm -hmm. and got his leg blown off that had, the, that had the tattoo on. So since then, every other um, male has had that done. Um, and then going up my body on my left calf, I have uh, a crank, like a bike crank with two big red roses. Mm -hmm. And I had that done by quite a famous tattoo artist from America who only tattoos in red and black. Um, and I had that done uh, the year anniversary of my granddad passing away. And my, my granddad was quite influential to me in my life. Like my, my parents split up when I was really young and, um, he uh, he had these massive red roses at his funeral and he was kind of the person that taught me to cycle. So that's it's quite a simple one, that one. Um, but, you know, very important one to me. And I actually had it tattooed in my local bike shop. They were doing like a... Oh, yeah. A, for Black Friday, they got a tattoo, this tattoo artist in to do tattoos, basically. It was quite 
and I just sort of almost had it done spontaneously. I knew I knew I wanted it done, but it was sort of semi spontaneous. Um, and then on my right calf, I have a a big bear riding a little bicycle. <laughs> He's got a little red little red fez hat on, and he came around because when I, I used to play rugby uh, at quite a high level, and um, my uh, nickname when I played rugby was Baloo, like Baloo the bear from the Jungle Book, mm-hmm. and that that came around because my class had five Chris's in it, and all of us had nicknames, and I got called Baloo because I was a big softy, mm-hmm. basically, and then it became Baloo getting on a bike. Um, I had it done just after I cycled across Romania, and we saw bears in Romania. That's kind of how it all. That's quite a simple one, that really. But I, I really like that one. It was drawn by a friend of mine who's she's an illustrator, um, and she also leading on from that, she also drew the one of the ones I have on my left arm, which is a fox being carried by a balloon. Um, the reason for that is I, I had that done uh, when my nan passed away. Mm. Um, my my grandparents used to run an animal charity, oh, wow. uh, and they looked after everything and anything under under the sun uh my, so my nan mainly looked after cats and my great aunt my nan's sister looked after dogs and then my other great aunt my nan's other sister used to look after like random things um so she looked after like tortoises for example she's i think but she's still got maybe 15 tortoises and um so when my nan passed away, I had the fox done. And the reason why I had the fox done was in, in the UK, you are not um, supposed to like look after or feed foxes. Oh. Uh, and my, my nan used to rescue fox cubs um, from farms or from like hunters, fox hunters, uh, when fox hunting was kind of allowed in the UK. She used to rescue fox cubs and like look after foxes. So... It wasn't really something you were supposed to do, but my nan did it as a, as kind of like a moment. Um, I she used to do it because she, she was a good person, and she's like, you know, I don't want animals to die. Yeah, and which, and then that's why I got that one. Is like not many people in outside of the family really knew that, so it was quite a special one. And then just on from the fox round the corner it's from. Nice to have one's work appreciated. That's hilarious. Uh, you are sitting for so long, man. <laughs> my watch talks to me all the time yeah um, and then so anyway next one on my arm i've got a, a galah which is an australian bird mm-hmm. uh which is a group like look, looks a bit like a cockatoo um gray with big pink plumage on its chest and when i uh rode across australia um with francis we agreed to get galah tattoos together when we finished uh, because the reason why was the whole ride, we kept seeing these galahs flying along and it became a bit of a joke between us that they were our boys and they were protecting us while we were riding. So we, we both decided to get a galah tattoo and uh, I had mine in colour. Francis had his like in grayscale. And then our mate, Liana, who uh, lives in Melbourne, also got one done because she wanted to get one done as well. So there's three of them. Uh, which is quite nice, and hers is ju- Liana's is just an outline, so we've all got slightly different ones, but it's the same design. Okay. And then moving up my left arm, I have the number one hundred and seven, which is a incredibly important number to me. Uh, it relates to 
a children's charity that I, I do a lot of work for called the Pace Centre, which looks after kids with motor-based disorders, so things like cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, I rode 107K for 107 days for them, and it's a number that kind of is very important in my mind, uh, and I try I use it as like a to remind me about that charity and the kids and the the incredible work that they do, and also like to try and understand what it's like for some of these kids, like little things like, you know, putting your shoes on or picking up a spoon is really hard and it puts things into perspective for me. And quite a few of my bikes have the number 107 on them because I like to remember that I'm sort of pushing myself to try and help inspire these kids to have these opportunities and to go and do amazing things. Um, it's it's an incredible charity and, to, and you know as I say, it's very important to me i've got friends that have got kids there and I, every time i go and visit i'm just like blown away by the work that they do um and then i've got two more mm-hmm. uh moving up on my left arm which is another one people don't really see because it's like on my shoulder i have a a big star that my dad drew um my dad was uh, at one point in his life. Uh, he used to be um, a world sidecar and British superbike champ. He was like an an incredible motorbike racer, um, and he is probably like God. Oh, must be ten, fifteen years ago now. I can't quite remember, but he he ended up in a very serious accident and was in a coma. And that tattoo is one of the first. Um, things that he kind of like doodled after the accident. So I have that on my arm. And then leading on to that, my whole right arm is to do with members of my family. And my right arm incorporates uh, like the top of it is like the moon and like all the elements around the moon. And then you've got two big koi's and then loads of little cherry blossoms and like lotus flowers. So the, the koi's are related to my one I got done for my uncle and one I got done for my granddad when they both passed away um, with Japanese style tattoos and uh, koi carp uh, are to do with passing on in life so when you pass away the the, the, the journey to the to the next world effectively mm-hmm. and uh, the idea is that a koi carp transforms into a dragon and um, so you see like people have koi tattoos and then like a koi dragon kind of mix and then a dragon tattoo. Um, and for me, uh, and what's really important about that is the when you have those kind of tattoos, the position that they're tattooed in. Um, so if they're effectively going upstream, it means that you've passed away peacefully. And if it's depending on the, because that's if a fish was going to, for example, a salmon, when a salmon goes upstream, they're going to, to mate and produce more salmon. So mm-hmm. the relationship, you go upstream, you're passing away peacefully because you're doing what you need to. But then if you're going downstream, you might not be passing away so peacefully because you can't get to your final destination. Um, so my uncle actually passed away in his sleep. So my uncle's koi is going upstream. Um, my granddad, uh, he had pancreatic cancer. Oh. Um and passed away. He passed away with his family, but he he had a really tough time of it. And um, so his his koi is like not quite upstream, but not quite downstream. It's sort of in the middle, which is he's more upstream than downstream because he passed away with his family. We were all there when he passed away, which is ultimately what he wanted. He wanted to pass away at home 
with his family. And then the other elements of it are to do with certain people in my family. Like I have little cherry blossoms, one for every member of my family. And then the big lotus flower that I have, I had done um, for my nan uh, before she passed away as a thought of a, because she really loved lotus flowers. So I had it done for her to sort of show her that I had always would have her with me in some way, shape or form. And then, as I say, the elements at the top were to do with, you know, I, I used to really struggle with depression um, and the moon is kind of central to it. And I think the moon is really pivotal to our world, uh, controls the tides, seasons, everything like that. And we maybe don't realise that and take that for granted. So the idea of it was very much that the moon is central and the elements that were battling against the moon. I, I, I had it done when I was in a pretty dark place myself. Um, and I, I always found that tattoos were really good relief. Um, most of mine are done by a very close friend of mine who I used to go to school with. Um, and we used to talk a lot in those sessions. And for me, when I, when I first had some tattoos done, it was a really good um, way to kind of, release some of that stress um creatively i think they're beautiful but also it was a good like stress release uh when i was really struggling with depression um maybe you didn't expect the meanings to, of them to be quite as deep as that but yeah that's kind of the meanings behind all of them they're all very personal to me and every single one means a lot and i every time i look at them i remember the good and the bad and the ugly for each one and like what they mean to me and how they also keep me on the straight and narrow, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I never really talked about them all, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great, actually. That's why I'm here to ask you questions that usually people don't do. By the way, just let me put a small advertising point here. We talked a lot with Chris in probably my fifth episode of my podcast, The Broom Wagon. It was two or three years, four years ago. Yeah. Tons of years ago. And we talked about a lot of things and so for that's why i truly believe that actually i can feel this kind of bonding relationship that we have together because we talked that time and then we never met till three months ago uh, sorry six weeks ago and it looks like anyways we are friends forever that's why i wanted in this kind of chat that we are gonna have to put something a bit more different because people are seeing you so many times they saw you in tons of videos in tv shows um articles or newspaper articles or whatever but there are some stuff that usually you don't talk so much not because of you of course but because there are not things that they are not coming out for example i think that they are uh, your tattoos are so so something like i so deep into your character and so evident but you never talked about that and they thought that there were some meanings on that that's why i wanted to take out this conversation yeah, you get you get asked a lot of the same sort of questions, and which is absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that, and I, I appreciate you hunting for the ones that are a bit different. They're the sort of things that people might want to know the answers to, but might not be confident enough to ask. In all honesty, you know, so with the tattoos, they're very. As I say, some people have tattoos for very personal reasons. Some people just have them because they like them, and both are fine. Yeah. both are absolutely fine. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but at the end of the day, this is your podcast, so you need to talk about whatever you want, even if in this case you're talking about what I want. So that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want, it seems like on this conversation that we had right now, so we talked about your tattoos and also looking at your social media and stuff, another um, really strong part of your life seems like being your family. Now, my question for you is, how important is family, of course, for your life, but also how important is your family for the person and the cyclist that you are now? So, it's interesting you ask that one, because, so for me, I have a very weird relationship with my actual family. Um, my, my direct family, uh, so my my mum, my dad, my sister. I have two stepsisters as well, and I have a stepmom. I'm close to them, but I don't, uh, I don't see them very often. And that's partly on purpose, um, partly just because of the nature that we're all quite far apart. Um, my, uh, my dad's got a brother and a sister as well, and I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I saw them. Oh. And I also have another aunt who I, I'm, I haven't seen in a long time. Um, and uh, there's, there's various reasons for that. We Maybe some of us don't get on so well. There's a few like arguments and things in the past that happened. But for me, family isn't just the family that you're born into. Family is who you choose it to be. So not only, you know, my dad is an incredible person who I don't see very often, but I have my relationship with my dad is very much like we, we talk when... We, te- we talk every now and then. We don't talk tons, but I know that if ever I have a problem, he's the first person I talk to. Oh, okay. Um, on the flip side, like, I, with my mum, like, my mum's very caring, but she's quite tough as well. Like, she's a bit of an old bat. Well, we shouldn't say it, but she's a bit of a toughie. Um, and so, but she equally is very caring as well. But uh, I, and same with my sisters, like, I don't see them very often, but I I know if anything happens, my direct family have got my back if some, if I need them. Um, but yeah, for me, family is not necessarily who you're born to be with. Family is your inner circle of people that are close to you, who are there, who support you, who look after you, who help you through tough times. It doesn't have to be your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, you know, grandparents. It, it, it can be your best friends. They can be like family to you. And I'm incredibly lucky to have a very close-knit group of friends across the country. Um, we all used to be in London, but not so much now. But I'm very lucky to have that like close-knit group of friends um, who I trust in explicitly. Um, and for I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the rides and challenges I do without them, and they know that. Um, so it's a weird, it's an interesting one you say that because I I realize a lot of my tattoos are quite family orientated, but they're not necessarily. It doesn't mean that my family are like the central part of my life. They're a very big influence on my life and what I've done as a person, but they aren't the be all and end all. As I say, I don't see them very often. I don't spend a lot of time with them, but I uh, understand the importance of them. Um, the importance for me is also goes towards that group of friends and they know who they are. Like they know they're pretty pivotal to everything. Um, I don't even need to say who it is. And I'm pretty sure most people can 
put two and two together like um family is is who you choose it to be it's not who you are given if that makes sense it makes a lot of sense and i remember that there was also a small piece of this part in the interview that we got some time ago and uh and you were telling me about people that were feeding you after your rides or people that were coming with you every morning to have a ride to keep you a bit of you know company or stuff yeah. in this yeah. kind of 700 so in the seven uh sorry in the 107 kilometers for 107 days you talked to me a lot about these people that were supporting you daily yeah. on the challenge and that's what family is exactly exactly it's people that are there to look after you and and that you equally provide it back um but it, like that challenge i couldn't have done it without a very close group of friends like I really struggled in that challenge, not just physically, but men mentally it ruined me. It absolutely destroyed me. And I, and it took me a year to get over that probably. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like it, it was fucking hard. It was like doing that while trying to juggle a job <laughs> is something that uh, like some people were like, oh yeah, 107 kilometers every day. That's not too bad. And I, I, people have like message me that and I'm like okay we'll go and do it and do it while you're working your nine to five job as well and then then come back to me and then tell me how you feel yeah I don't know anyone that's done that yet who can understand how mentally I felt and my friends or as I like to call them my family of people around me um they probably are the closest people to understanding how I felt during that because they saw it firsthand as so much of it like Francis who's one of my best mates he who everyone will know probably now because his YouTube is fucking huge. Um, he, uh, he filmed so much of it and he saw a lot of it. And over times when I turned around to him and I said to him, don't fucking film because I, I literally am a shell right now. I don't, I really don't. I just want to not be on camera. And a lot of the time he would tell me to fuck off and he would just film anyway because he's like, it's good that people see this. And, and then, there, but there were certain times when I was like, seriously, not today. Okay. And he was very, he was very respectful of that actually. Um, but yeah, it was, that was a hard challenge. And then you look at like when I've done like the 24 hour time trials, like I am adamant. I would, I cannot, and I would not do that without two people, which is Will and Jimmy. Oh. Will's a nutritionist and Jimmy is Jimmy from Atticus. Um, every time I've done it, Jimmy's been there and Will's done two of them for me with me. I've done three 24 hours and the national ones and every single one, Jimmy's been there and Jimmy's just very good at like dealing with me mentally, like getting me in the right headspace and stuff like that and talking to me and basically taking the piss out of me. And Will, Will as a nutritionist is just like that having that person who's an expert. Like, so last year when I did the nationals, I, um, I had a, Ironically, yeah, I had an I got hit by a lorry just before standard, and that's when I first started having problems with my back. Um, so I wasn't sure how I was going to go. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel. But uh, basically, um, anyway, Will, Will was there looking after me, keeping making sure I had painkillers in me to make sure my back wasn't too bad, and making sure I was eating. And there was I I I got quite sick in the race, and I threw up twice, which isn't good. Okay, and uh, 
Chris got a phone call, um, so we can continue on something else. I think it was a good heads up because we have been re recording now for almost 50 minutes. And <laughs> we can carry on with another topic. And yeah, by far, like. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let's talk about something completely different. No, I want to stay on this exact direction. So just visualize now. Because we are more or less in the same period. Visualize now yourself uh, in 2017. You are on one of the cobbled section in the Tour de Flanders, finishing yeah. up with your great 107 thing and the thing that you carry on. How did you did you see zooming out? How do you see yourself in that moment? Which one were the feeling that you were? getting into your body and into your mind at the moment in that moment of the 107 kilometers and at the end how huge were was this accomplishment for you it, it didn't kick in i was fucked okay i didn't realize i'd finished it okay 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 I was, looking back on it still mm -hmm. that moment i i was really emotional and i was really upset but I didn't really understand what was going on. I was, I was, I was physically fucked. I was mentally fucked. I was just a bit of a space cadet, to be honest with you. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I just sort of, I don't know. I was a shell of a man. Like I didn't. It probably didn't really sit, settle in. Probably for a week later. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember the next day, the 108th day, I got up and jumped on my bike as if that was what I was supposed to be doing. Have you ever been again to, to the Flanders? Have I been again since then? Uh, I went, yeah, I went the year after, I think, um, which is quite nice, actually. It was nice to go back and, uh, like, I guess just, I really like Flanders. I really like Belgium. And I like that, like the history of cycling there more than anything. Um, and so... I went the year after, but I didn't do the Sportif. I just went to go and watch the pro race because it's my favourite race of the year. Um, but I would like to go back again. Shall we do just... it next year? Yeah, let's go. 2021. Plan it. Done. Okay, Ray. Because I wanted to go this year because I was there 2017. I've been there 2016 and 2017, twice in a row, yeah. to do the both. Uh, the Sportif yeah. and watching the pro the day after. And then this year, since I have a lot of free time, because of my job status, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a place there. I think I'm going to write to a couple of persons. Probably I'm going to get a spot for me, and then I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And then we are locked down, and we are not going to make it this year. But 2021, why not? Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, we can get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do that. So it seems like now we are kind of guests of the Zero Lemon podcast, right? I am. You are the owner. But the project, the main project is Zero Lemon. What is that, and why the name? Is something related to Greg Lemon, or <laughs> no, it isn't actually. Like so, I a lot of stuff happened in my work life to do with you know obviously things happened with. Jam. I was working for Jam Cycling, and I was involved with Jam kind of from day one. Um, a lot happened and changed with Jam and effectively I, I lost my job mm -hmm. uh, and I was chatting away to uh, one of my friends and he said to me 
when life gives you lemons, give lemons back to life because lemons are a shit gift. Okay. That's kind of where it came from. Was that him chatting about how lemons were a shit gift? And so I was like, fuck, like I should zero lemons. So giving zero lemons. So basically like not giving a shit and just kind of going with the flow. And I, I sort of started it originally to, as a way for me to talk about, like to be able to do some a few little design bits and just to express creativity and have a bit of a creative outlet again, which I kind of lost when I left architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've done, you know, I've been doing a bit of sort of freelance design work through that, the name, um, and that some of that's kit design, uh, like prints, some clothing bits, um, and just kind of doing things that I've, I've kind of always wanted to do. Uh, I've always kind of wanted to have like a brand where I could do that. And I, I, I did actually used to have a, my own little design studio quite a few years ago, which I, uh, stopped uh, just because of working full time, mm-hmm. uh, and I kind of wanted to bring it back and rename it and have a sort of a cycling element to it because cycling is such an important part of my life. But obviously, the name has nothing to do with cycling. It is literally when a friend said to me, "When life gives you lemons, give them back to life because they're a shit gift," and that that was kind of where it all came from. Um, so it started more design focused, and then I'd always, I'd wanted to do a podcast, and I get so many people ask me why I don't have a YouTube channel. Why don't I do YouTube? Like, and I'm like, I don't do YouTube. It's not, I don't do a YouTube videos or a channel because one, I'm in so many of my friends and two, I see the level of work and commitment they have to throw into it. And I, I don't have the time and that I just, I don't want to, I guess personally, I don't want to have something like that so much that I feel like it's quite invasive of your personal life. Yes, yes. Um, and for me, a podcast is not so invasive, but a really good opportunity to provide really interesting topics and discussion points. Uh, and, and to be perfectly honest, I listen to shit tons of podcasts as opposed compared, you listen to them, but you look at the amount of podcasts I listen to compared to the amount of YouTube videos I watch. Podcast is like four or five times the amount. Yeah, um, it's something that I really enjoy. I listen to podcasts when I go cycling. I listen to podcasts when I'm working at home. Like for me, it's like that's what I should be doing because I it's where what I enjoy. Um, and that's kind of how it evolved. Like I'm kind of quite free of it. I just want it to be as it is, and you know, do a bit of design things, do a podcast providing interesting. Cop- topics of communication with some interesting people and then it you know it's not my day job it's kind of what I'm doing for fun um and as a creative outlet to do things I've always wanted to do more than anything um so the name really is not really that heavily orientated around cyclists and also I I like lemons because they're yellow we'll go back to that I like the color yes I can tell you that actually lemon lemon that yellow is my favorite color I can tell you I have a bicycle that is yellow and it's a custom-made bicycle and I made it made it yellow because yellow is my favorite color that's why I actually find this kind of sync between me and you yellow is amazing Yes, yeah, it's a happy color. Yeah, it's super happy. It's super happy color. Yeah. And uh, still talking about Zero Lemon. So you told us that it's kind of, I don't know, a creative outlet to send out stuff or whatever. But talking about the clothing and kits and whatever, is there something that is coming out from there? I don't know, a new cycling kit or stuff like this? 
I so I I basically what I do is I uh, I I'm very lucky to have a friend who works in fashion who helps me out with samples, um, and he's helped me out get a load of samples and also helped with the back end side on being able to allow me to sell stuff which is made to order so I don't have to hold stock of things which is great because it does it it saves a lot of costs one thing sitting in a warehouse and also costs of just like wastage I hate the idea of things being wasted wasted and unused so pretty much everything is made to order um so a lot of the t-shirts and like I did, I did like a rucksack as well, but then I don't hold stock of them I, on purpose. I, I only have them made when one is ordered. Um, so my friend produces, helps me get samples done. And then when I've got the samples in hand, that's when I basically go, All right, this is available because I'm happy with how the sample is. Um, and then I did design a, a zero lemon Jersey, uh, which uh, is well, I did it as a pre-order and that's now, the pre-order's closed now, but um, it's in the factory to be made. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Uh, obviously, the factory where that's being produced, it's being made by the legends at Atticus, but um, as one of the first like Atticus custom projects. Um, obviously, right now, uh, things are very much on hold in the factories in Italy right now. So we're kind of playing it by ear as to as and when that's going to be available. And uh, people, who I, you know, I was really quite blown away by the amount of people that purchased them and the people that purchased them, I will get them to you as soon as I have them. But obviously in the current climate we're in, uh, there's there will be delays on that, unfortunately. Yeah, I can tell you that it, this happened exactly the same to my um, custom kit that also is produced is being produced in Italy, but they shut down everything till the beginning of next month. So yeah, yeah. we have just to wait now. Yeah, that's it's as simple as that. Like we we can't change the situation we're in. We just have to wait, and things will come good at one point. Yeah, and we'll be fine. And we're gonna wear astonishing kits for the new season. Yeah, exactly. Have fun in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's, uh, I, as I was saying, it's pretty good. And actually, it's really good that actually you put the visual part and your design attitude and your super creative attitude into the design part on one side. And then on the other side, man, is something that we are talking into today, the podcast. So you told us that you decided to go into a podcast because you want to express your point of view and your um, numerous and really big amount of interests and topics that you want to talk around the world with your voice and that's a super yeah. amazing thing but then what triggers you what triggered you sorry at a certain point i'd say okay let's go and do it <laughs> as if what made me want to do it it was i'm really lucky that i i've met I've, I've done a lot of things in my own personal career like i worked in architecture i did that for quite a long time i worked for some of the biggest design firms in the world. Um, I traveled around the world with work. I was very lucky to have been able to do that, but I, I fucking hated it. <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, not just because it was hard. It was incredibly stressful. It was incredibly long hours. Um, I really suffered from depression doing it. And during that time, um, but I met some amazing people. I was very, very lucky to meet, some of you know the most interesting designers um 
just just people in general like who it's super interesting like you know it, a lot of us it's quite design focused but it was really diverse like of people I met and uh, for me like there I want to be able to with this podcast it, obviously cycling is a real love and passion of mine but this isn't a cycling podcast it just so happens that there's a lot of chats with cyclists in it um the main thing is it's a podcast about kind of introducing people to the people I've had the pleasure to meet and know and understand and get a bit behind like I there'll be some quite interesting characters who I probably haven't necessarily uh talked about much uh in my own social media or anything but are people who are heavily influenced what I've done through my career um back in the day shall we say mm-hmm. um and they're still very important to me um, in my private life. Um, so, and I feel that they're people that will help inspire and really interest people uh, into not just, you know, new thoughts of life, but, you know, very much how um, how society is and try and hopefully offer a different perspective to things that people might not have necessarily appreciated or understood. So effectively, I, I, what I want to do is just provide people with an opportunity to um, hear, hear some real conversations that are not scripted, very unedited, provided to you to understand that there's a lot of other things in the world that maybe you haven't had your eyes wide and open to. It's very natural. It's very important to me that they're not over edited or over like very interviewy. I just want them to be chats, very informal and very honest. Like that's why like I've had the podcast that will will come out before this one, uh, that I was interviewing Joe Laverick and the first thing Joe said to me was like, Am I allowed to swear? And I was like, Yeah, fuck yeah, you can say what you want, mate. <laughs> I don't really don't care. Like swear all the fuck you want. Like swearing's a good thing like i i actually think if people swear more that it's a, someone that's more trustworthy because they're not trying to cover up what they're saying so fuck just swear like it doesn't matter um so yeah i guess that's kind of it like i just wanted to provide another platform that was a bit different to what all my other friends do in london um and hopefully will provide some interesting chats and conversation with people that maybe they didn't expect to have them from i don't think for example the first podcast that came out with george i don't think people expected that that to be quite so business driven i didn't it's very business yeah it's really business driven yeah. and i loved it because it gives you really another point of your your life that usually i can see from your social media for example what i was expecting for your post from your podcast is amazing yeah yeah and that that's kind of yeah that's kind of what i wanted it's not to be just cycling uh, as I say, there is a there is going to be a a series of interviews with cyclists um, because that's an incredibly important part of my life. But it's not the be all and end all. It's a very small part of the whole bigger picture of my life. If that makes sense, makes really really a lot of sense. And now, are you going along with this all recording and things and stuff? Did you still find the time to do your indoor trainer? or cooking or whatever or you're spending the whole time speaking on a microphone that's what happened to me I actually yeah. so i i basically got one planned so my at the moment how, how i've planned this is that one a week but i because of the current situation i appreciate that people are looking 
for more things to listen to and you know things to help occupy them so I'm actually trying to bring out more than that so I think I've got six or seven planned in the in the diary as it stands and they are that the one that will become that I'm recording on Friday I'm really excited about uh and that they're all I mean I'm excited about all of them but for me the one on Friday I'm really excited about but I guess like I I'm just sort of trying to juggle it as much as I can like like similar to you this is it's not my job I'm doing this for the fun of it and um doing it for the to have these interesting conversations and like it's as it's as interesting for me to have these to be able to talk to people as it is for I hope for you the listeners like but yeah I'm I'm trying to juggle everything as much as I can I somehow seem to turn out that I'm quite good at juggling stuff yeah yeah you are <laughs> <laughs> Man, I want to close this interview asking you an anecdotal question because we talked about a lot of important things. Something was planned, something was not, but we knew that this kind of thing would happen at a certain point. So I'm completely yeah, fine yeah, with yeah. that. I think you are fine with it as well. And yeah. my question is, I know that now you are partnering up with your content with Cervelo. And I know that you yeah. are in love with Cervelo's bike. And I know that you yeah. have a story because at a certain point of your life, you put your hands and you have ridden, I don't know if you still have that bike, of Edvald yeah. Bossenhagen bike. How yeah. did it happen? Do you still have that bike? Where did you bring that bike? And yeah. Uh, so, Cervelo, that I, I still don't quite understand how the whole partnership came around. I'm, I'm quite... Uh, still in shock about it like for me of any bike brand that i could have ever dreamt of working with Cervelo is the one um, and my friends know that they know i love Cervelo bikes and i always have done like i've loved, loved the soloist which came out like was like one of Cervelo's first bikes that for me was like when that came out i was just like shit that thing looks insane because it was like nothing that anyone else had really seen before um and yeah it it was a it kind of i think what it's taken a lot of hard work and uh to get the the relationship to where it is but effectively um it was pitched to me by Cervelo um and i i was approached by them which was incredible uh I, like to have a brand like that um have faith and really appreciate what you do is i i was completely like blown away by it and you know, it was yeah. I'm quite choked up about it, as you can tell. But yeah, so Edvald anyway, Edvald Bossenhagen's bike. There's a funny story to how I ended up with it. Um, so my friend Matt, Matt Faulkner, who is a transcontinental legend, mm -hmm. um, has done three or four transcontinentals now. Italy divide twice. Like he's an absolute gent and uh, a really good friend of mine. Uh, he actually had it before me and I believe he got it from a charity auction um, which was for Quebec mm -hmm. for the charity that MTN Quebec as it was then or Dimension Data or now NTT uh, is was set up to sort of fundraise for and support so he got it at a, I believe a charity auction um, Matt is a fair bit shorter than me and I remember when the first time I saw it, I was like, mate, if you ever want to sell that bike, first dibs. And uh, he was like, no, I'm never selling it. <laughs> never selling it. And I was like, okay, well, 
I'm just going to keep reminding you every now and then. First dibs, you know, if you ever want to sell it, you name a price and I'll buy it. Because um, when the that it's an S5, I've still got it. Mm-hmm. Um, when that S5 came out, I saw it. It's black and white. It's matte. It just looks mean. And the first time I ever saw it, I was like, I'm going to own one of them one day. And that, that you know, it came out quite a few years ago. Anyway, going down some chat, I carried on sort of like pestering Matt every now and then. And eventually one day he was like, do you know what? It is too big for me. I'm going to sell it. And he sold it to me, basically complete bike minus wheels. And I, I cycled over to his house. He lives out in Isha and I, I live in East London. So that's like an hour and a half cycle. So I cycled out to his house with a rucksack and uh, we strapped the, the, the bike to the rucksack and I cycled back no an hour and a half. Our boss and Hagen's S5 strapped to my back oh, wow. through central London, and yeah, I've used it for a couple of 24-hour relay races, and I've you know I've used it at Red Bull time lapse and stuff, and like it's just an absolute rocket. And then yeah, I've still got it. It's it's actually in my bedroom. Ah, because you you're just watching at it and sleeping with it and not really riding it. It's summer bike, isn't it? It's best summer bike. Okay, um, yeah. I uh, still got it. I still, uh, it's an absolute beast. I lo- love riding it. It's super stiff, super fast. It's like a time trial bike with drop bars is the best way I can describe that bike. And uh, yeah, like the whole relationship with Savello, like I'm, in, I'm just still like quite blown away by it. I can't quite believe it's, it's happened. It's like a dream partnership that I'm incredibly excited about. Um you know, how often is it you can say you get to work with your dream bike brand? I don't know. I mean, it never happened to me, for example. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I'm, as I said, like, I'm still pretty choked up about it. I, Yeah, it's a special one. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And on that topic, you can imagine that I'm leveraging that relationship for the podcast at some point. I'm just going to say that. Okay. I'm not going to say who who I'll be talking to, but yeah, um, there should be some interesting ones coming out. I saw this uh, coming. I saw this coming. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, Chris, I would say that we spent a couple of solid hours together, together with me and together with, not all together with our listeners, but probably do you want to finish with something else, your own? So your episode about yourself in your own podcast? Oh, man. What can I say? Uh, thank you so much to you for basically hosting this podcast. Absolutely pleasure. I would spend all day talking about your things and talking about bicycles and talking about your stories and your human skills, probably for every <laughs> full week. And I know that we can do that. <laughs> yeah, and like we, we'll do. We're going to do a flip of this where I will uh, actually interview you for my podcast as well so i like honestly like it is for me when i when i sort of you've been so helpful for me on wanting to set this up and giving me loads of advice and tips which like what microphone to buy things like that like i didn't really know what i was buying and it's it's a real honor to have you basically present a podcast for me and actually do it properly while i just sort of wing it like you instantly made it sound so much more slick than me so um, Thank you so much. Like it's yeah, I, I, I owe you one. 
next time you get to London, we'll go out and get dinner. Of course, this is something that we're going to do, but remember that we put it on records. We need to do To The Flanders 2021 together. You're yeah. going to be faster than me, but still we can start together and we can drink some beers together at the end. What I'll do is I'll push you so we go at the same speed. Amazing. We can do that. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Chris. And uh, yeah, it was a really great pleasure to be part of this with you. And uh, hopefully we're going to do it again. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Ciao. Bye. Bye.